0: Here we go, a brand-new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. My name is Steve Cashel, joined by my usual co-host, Dr. Brian Cole. He is the head team physician for the Chicago Bulls and one of the co-team physicians for the Chicago White Sox, amongst other teams, and sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. Doc Cole, how are you? I'm great, Steve. Great to see you this morning. Well, we got uh, right on topic here because nothing hotter in sports, I think, right now than besides the Cubs injuries. But uh, turn to football and the NFL quarterbacks going down. Drew Brees and Brent Roethlisberger and Nick Foles a couple weeks ago. I'm going to start with the Roethlisberger injury, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, MRI in his right elbow last Sunday evening, determined by the Steelers medical team that surgery would be required. They're thinking maybe a Tommy John surgery.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, to my
0: question, and what all my friends are asking me, I mean, ask Dr. Coldest, they're telling me, Steve, you know, is it, uh, how... Unusual is this for a football quarterback to have a Tommy John compared to a baseball pitcher?
1: It's very rare. Like, you know, it's estimated that about a third of all baseball pitchers and then Major League Baseball have had or are veterans of Tommy John. So clearly, I, you know, you'd have to be, you'd basically have to go to the internet, which I've done. There's maybe two or three quarterbacks that are listed that have had Tommy John problems. It's extremely rare and i think the main reason is that you just the the mechanics are so different you know arguably throwing a football is repetitive but it's nothing like repetitive throwing the angular velocity you get when throwing a baseball you know certainly the forces are insane with a football and the distance but it's, that's like an acute overload situation, which obviously that's where the ligament can fail. But with baseball, it's often attritional or repetitive over time that weakens the ligament. And, you know, you're dealing with frequency of throwing a very small ball uh, and you're throwing it 90-plus miles per hour and you're doing it sometimes, you know, 80, 90, you know, 100 times depending on where you are on the cycle. So it's... Um, it, it really is a different entity compared to throwing a football. That's why we just don't hear about it. So it's, it's a shame because, you know, it's not like we got a dozen quarterbacks on a football team. Uh, it can really paralyze an organization by losing their quarterback to this because the recovery time is probably going to be just like, uh, just like a baseball player, maybe a little bit less. Maybe you got six, eight months, not eight to 12 months to get your performance back, but it could take that long. So it's, it's really a shame.
0: And then Drew Brees, of course, one of the great quarterbacks in the NFL and uh, future Hall of Famer for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, here's what happens to him. An injury during the first quarter last Sunday between the Saints and Rams. Uh, he was hit on his hand by Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Did not return in 19 NFL seasons, Dr. Cole. Drew Brees has only missed one game, two to injury, and... Uh, Wow, surgery could be out six weeks. Are you thinking? What are you thinking? With yeah, the thumb? I mean, you
1: know, the most common they say they're saying ligament. So I'm going to say the most common is the what we call the skier's thumb or the gamekeeper's thumb. We've talked about that before. We had a yeah. couple of those on our basketball team. Um, they they're a little bit hard to diagnose. Uh, there's some decision making whether or not to repair. Uh, sometimes you get a little wiggle room to say, look, should we repair this or can we let him try to play with it? The problem is if you've got a grip, a ball, a football, your thumb, a posable thumb is really important. So if you don't have that stability in the ligament, you can't grab a ball. So you kind of know what the the what the outcome is going to be based upon physical exam and that MRI. So if they're saying it's out six weeks, they're probably, I mean, just guessing, you know, eventually it will come out. The most common, all things being equal, is going to be the the ligament, the onocleido ligament of the thumb, uh, which kind of gives you that stability. You know what it's from? Is gamekeeper's thumb? Steve is uh, when they used to break the necks of chickens, you know, yeah. in uh, in uh, in farming in uh, poultry farming, right. they they these guys would do it, you know, thousands of times a day, and and then they would wear out the ligament or thumb called a gamekeeper's thumb. Oh, wow. So anyway, it's a, it's a tough injury, and it's going to be a, a bit for uh, recovery if that's the case.
0: And then Nick Foles, Jaguars quarterback, uh, this happened a couple weeks ago, hit by a defensive tackle, second drive of the game, broken left clavicle, He is right-hand dominant, but same side he broke in 2014 underwent surgery, repair, a broken left collarbone, and a clean, straightforward break and targeting a week 11 return. So it's, it's dangerous out there, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a collision sport. It's like getting hit by a car every time. I mean, oh. look, this is the one sport where you see career-ending injuries sometimes every single week, you know. So um, it's it's awful. Clavicle fractures are a, a tough one, too, because I think, as you may have mentioned, he, he had one before that may not have been treated surgically. And um, I would say that the standard now, depending on the clavicle fractures, is, is surgical repair. And you can sometimes get a guy back faster with surgery than non-surgery. So I'm not sure where the decision-making is there. I don't know the fracture configuration, but uh, I've been you know, pretty involved with some of the science in clavicle fractures, actually helping design a new plate that's really low profile and super strong. And the hope is that we can get someone back faster and sooner. I see biking accidents on a pretty regular basis with uh, clavicle fractures. That's one of the most common things I see. And in the summer, that's kind of a weekly thing. Uh, I, you know, there are times where I'm repairing a clavicle each and every week from a bike injury. Really? Yeah, but you know, the good news is the best night of sleep they get after the clavicle fracture is the day they get it fixed. I mean, it's really brutal. It is super painful, and the night you fix it, uh, after you fix it, they feel. Great, they're sore, but they feel great because you don't have this strut that's overlapping and moving around and is extraordinarily painful. Otherwise,
0: any other football injuries you're seeing at Midwest or the at rush?
1: Now, well, we've had a rash of. I'm getting uh, a number of high school kids now with with uh, ACL tears. So last Monday we had four acute ACL injuries for uh, high school football players. Ah,
0: devastating. It, yeah, man. it's
1: it, yeah, it's it's awful. I mean, because these kids, you know, what's really, you know, what's the, the the biggest challenge is these kids are coming in and they're using. They need film. So if they're juniors or seniors, they need film for college. So the stress is on for for the recruiters. Yeah, the the stress is on for a lot of these kids to get into college. So obviously academics are important, but many of these kids have aspirations of playing college level football, and you know about half are D three, and I get a a number of kids who are D one, and it's it's devastating. Usually by the time they get to me, I they know what they have. You know, so the drama's been. They went through the drama, but I can tell you, there's nothing more challenging, at least in my office, emotionally as a kid who's just finding out they have an ACL tear. And they're not scared of the surgery or any of that. They just can't, it's hard for them to imagine the recovery. And in fact, they're not even worried about getting back because most people know after you reconstruct the ACL, you're probably gonna get back and you may be as good or better based on the rehab you do. The thing that they did that's devastating is that you can't plan it, the timing is awful because it's happening in sport, it's happening in competitive sport, They can't afford to be out of the sport if they're trying to achieve something. So sometimes you get a kid who has no desire to play college, but he's just bummed that he can't finish his senior year. You know, that's devastating. I've had a number of recent ones where I've tried to let him play, actually, where we'll brace him and we'll say, look, you know, it's a consensual decision-making, but you could make an argument in some instances knowing that they could still give out that if you handle it in a certain way, certain positions, certain athletes can make an attempt to go back to play with an incompetent ACL and delay the fixing, you know. Delay. I'm the thinking alignment. You can do an alignment. I had a quarterback recently. We got two games, and he ended up giving way. I've got a young guy now who's an outside linebacker. He's thin. He's 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 not real big. He's a he's a actually he's a safety, and we're gonna give it a go. We met, uh, you know. But it's that you should sit on that conversation, you know, with the parents versus the kid. And you can't predict who's going to be pushing it more, the kid or the parent. Is that right? The yeah. Time, you know? yeah. Uh, but that, that's one is like buyer beware because if you allow a, a, anyone to go back with an ACL tear to the same sport that they tore it to begin with, you obviously know they're in an ACL-dependent sport, right, because they tore it in the activity. And typically they're non-contact, open-field type injuries, right? Not contact. Non-contact, so, yeah. so they need their ACL. So they're getting in a situation where they run the risk of tearing, you know, uh, or, excuse me, of tearing other things if they give way.
0: Okay, doc sounds great let's move on talk a little bit about supplements and and the importance of supplements i'm thinking about whey protein and uh and different things turmeric you know right, uh, right. I've, I've started that and i really like it but you got to get the right grade right
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of nuances to supplements i would tell you that you and i will always do better trying to get what we need what we need from whole food but The reality is if you're exercising, you're doing strength, resistance training, endurance training at any level, it's kind of tough to get all the things you need just by routine food. So supplements kind of fill that gap, and they also are very convenient because, you know, let's just say you're trying to achieve some basic recommendation of one gram of protein per pound. Because you're working out and you're trying to deal with recovery and avoid soreness and One things like that. One gram of protein yeah. per pound. Yeah, so okay. that's not easy to get. No. Right. So you know, at minimum, if you're 160 pounds, you're looking at a half gram, and and when you're really working out and your muscles are breaking down, you're looking for recovery, you know, reducing soreness and increasing muscle mass and performance, uh, and helping you know from a, a support muscle uh, reach muscle growth and so forth. That's when you'd like to have something around the neighborhood of one gram per pound. That's not easy to get. So protein supplements can make a big difference. But supplements come in all you know sizes and shapes. It's not just protein. There's amino acids that help us for what we call protein synthesis to help rebuild muscle. There are things that you and I could take, like you said, you're taking turmeric that can help uh, uh, support uh, joint recovery or joint inflammation in some of the basic science literature. So there's all it's an amazing field, and I'll tell you, you know, having just recently climbed, I it was a big part of my training. And I think, you know, when people ask what's more important, exercise or food, I think, you know, I would almost say that if you don't do the food thing, that all the exercise in the world may not get you there. So, Interesting, yeah. so you know, feeding your body and your muscles and your furnace properly is as important or more important than doing the the exercise, and they don't work in isolation. Uh, I can tell you that, but certainly if you're not exercising, taking supplements isn't going to do it. And if you're exercising intently, uh, if you're not eating properly, you don't get the most out of it. So there's a a definite balance.
0: Our next guest, he's a great one. Let's bring uh, David Strickland on. David is with uh, Optimum Nutrition. We're going to talk about the merits of Dairy protein, and I'm trying to figure out right here between whey protein and dairy protein, and Doc and I talked a little bit off camera with David. Thanks so much for for joining us, Uh, and you guys do a heck of a job with uh, Glambia, but especially out of uh, optimum nutrition. What makes a whey protein unique against other proteins, David?
2: Hey, Steve, first and foremost, uh, thanks for having me on, Brian. Steve, happy to be here, so uh, thank you. Um, yeah, great subject and certainly something that's near and dear to our heart. But, uh, you know, whey protein, it, it's, it's not just for bodybuilders anymore. It's basically consumed by healthy adults as part of the regular diet and exercise regimen now. And, um, you know, you, you can, it's used to build and help support your muscle recovery as well as, you know, many of the metabolic uh, proteins that are required for body structure like collagen, joint, and certainly your, your immune system. Um, and hormones and and uh, and more. So it's something that everybody should incorporate into their diet. It's probably one of the most talked about um, foods in in our diets today.
1: You know, I I've, this is something I've been learning about over time. Over time, and I just want to you know, David is a very humble guy, but he's probably one of the most knowledgeable individuals who I've come across in the sports nutrition industry. David, I know you're the chief commercial officer uh, for Glambia, but most people really know you as Optimum Nutrition. We see your office building off of 355. We drive by. It's a beautiful building. And he and I met actually at the first, uh, maybe the second uh, Sports Summit. They've been a, a perennial uh, sponsor and supporter of the the Sports Summit, Steve, which you'll be uh, a moderator of, right? Right. On uh, October second, Wednesday, October second. So he's going to be uh, uh, present as well and uh, as a speaker. But uh, tell you know, tell us a little bit about, if you would, about you know, Optimum Nutrition and what they're all about. My I, as I remember, I think you once told me you guys make more way protein, which is a dairy protein, a whole protein, uh, or a complete protein, as you call it, than any other company in the world. Is that true, or am I embellishing that?
2: Yeah, no, to to our records, we certainly do, Brian, and uh, we tout ourselves as the uh, largest um, uh, sports nutrition company in the world. Uh, Basically, we are part of an Irish company, an Irish dairy co-op called Glambia uh, Nutrition, and um, Glambia is Gaelic for good food. Uh, And 11 years ago, they made the uh, um, acquisition of Optimum Nutrition, which was actually started here in Chicago by two brothers who, in the late 80s, started blending whey proteins and putting them in their car and driving them from gym to gym and giving them to bodybuilders. And if you remember back in the 80s, Sylvester Stallone and cracking his eggs in Rocky, that's That's what most bodybuilders were using for high-protein sources. And somebody discovered the technology behind whey and whey proteins. And um, it tastes a lot better. It blends and mixes easier, and it gets into your bloodstream pretty quickly. And uh, for the last 11 to 12 years, Lambia slash Optimum Nutrition has been blending and providing proteins into over 148 different countries around the world. We produce in two spots, one here in Aurora, Illinois, and then the other one is in Middlesbrough, England. And, uh, yeah, we touted ourselves as the largest sports nutrition supplier but also the largest whey producer and supplier of whey proteins around the world.
0: Yeah, we're visiting with David Strickland. David's with Optimal Nutrition. as I said, the largest sports nutrition company in the world.
1: David, let me ask you a question because people, you know, Steve and I were talking uh, between the break about, you know, taste and different types of protein and so forth. I had the privilege of coming out to visit Glambia uh, a while ago, and it was like going to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was absolutely fascinating. Steve, this is like, you should absolutely go visit. I'd like Um, to. You know, first of all, it's extremely scientific. Um, They are very, very focused on quality. There's a whole... There's a whole litany of sort of standards that go into making these substances, especially because they're used by athletes, right? So you can imagine the different standards that are out there that that they have to meet. Um, but taste is a huge issue. Like Steve, you were mentioning your when you go to your health club or wherever when you take protein, you'll take some way, and you're like, you're not crazy about the taste sometimes, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, so I can I I know one of the things I learned, and Dave, you can share with us what goes on. Like it's. They have, I, and I, in fact, I don't want to give any trade secrets away, so I'll let you say what you guys do to get it to taste good, okay? I'm afraid I might say something wrong, Steve, David, so you go ahead and tell me. Like we tell, Just share with us what you can, what you go through to make it taste good, because people are not going to use it if it tastes bad. And I, I know from my experience with Optum Nutrition and with Gold Standard, I, I have no problem with it, and I take it on a regular basis. So what, what do you do to make it taste good?
2: Well, we can't, we can't tell you all of our secrets, Brian, but I can tell you that we focus uh, very heavily on quality and consistency. And, you know, that's probably one of the biggest differences between our brands and uh, several of our competitive brands. And, and first and foremost, actually what goes into taste, believe it or not, is testing protocols. And we test every batch of whey protein that comes through our doors of our plant. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80 truckloads a week that come into our facilities. Every one of those are tested for different levels of um, nutrients and protein sources and sodium. And making sure that you get the right product in to start with makes it a lot easier to flavor and then to uh, set the taste notes for the product. And you're absolutely right. There's been many whey proteins out there that don't taste too good or even plant-based proteins don't taste that good. And over the last... 10 to 15 years, a lot of our science and a lot of our uh, research and development has been put into actually making the products taste better, and um, so we work with a lot of different flavoring houses. Um, We're now working with a lot of natural flavoring flavoring houses um, because there's been a big push and trend to get away from artificial flavors, artificial coloring, so we're trying to do as much stuff as naturally as possible. But uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of testing and, and um, processes and protocols that we put in place. We also even have, I think, Brian, what you're recalling from your uh, tour was the electric nose and, and tongue. Yeah, and that was, that
1: was that. so cool. Yeah, exp- yeah, explain what that is.
2: Well, I, yeah, it's basically a machine that will t- 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 uh, test the tape profile and the notes of every product and uh, every batch that we produce. And instead of having five or six people standing around tasting it saying, yeah, this tastes like the last batch or this tastes like the batch before or the batch two months ago, we actually record uh, it all very scientifically um, with a a machine that does all the electric uh, tasting for us. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the machine
0: great stuff, David. Uh, we're going to have you on again, uh, hopefully uh, soon, because this is great information, and uh, I got a ton more questions. But we got to keep moving here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Again, Optimum Nutrition. What's the best way people can uh, get a hold of you guys?
2: Well, actually, you know, we sell through many many locations, but you can try us at uh, get us at GNC. It's Optimum Weight Gold Standard at GNC Vitamin Shop or online at Amazon.com. Or even in Walmart stores, you'll find uh, we've got product in there now as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Steve, Brian, thanks very much for the time on the show today. And uh, enjoy some gold standard whey protein when you get a chance and recover very quickly. There you go.
0: We will. David Strickland from Optimum Nutrition and Glambia Performance Nutrition. Let's take a break. Come back with more Sports Medicine Weekly and our Ask the Doctor segment after this,
1: only on 670 The Score.
0: Back here on the Saturday morning Sports Medicine Weekly, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole. Time now for the staple of our show. It's our Ask the Doctor segment, giving our listeners the opportunity to have Dr. Cole address their specific sports injury issues. You want to get involved? Very easy. Go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on the homepage, you'll see the picture of Dr. Cole and yours truly on the right side of the screen. Click on that link. And you can ask the doc a question. Ready, doc? Here we I'm, go. I'm in. First one: What is the difference, Doctor Cole, between open and closed chain exercise? What is each type of exercise indicated?
1: Well, you know, I, I I imagine some of our listeners know what this is, but I think it's kind of important to know because it may have special uh, uh, meaning if you're, say, recovering from injury uh, or have joint pain, but. Basically there's two forms of what we call kinetic exercise, meaning when your joints are moving. One is called open chain exercises and the other is called closed chain exercises. So open chain is when, say, the segment furthest away from the body, either the, the hand or the foot, is is free and it's not fixed or in contact with an object and in a closed chain exercise it's fixed or stationary. So so the you know open chain exercise like picture Steve if you sit down on a machine and like a leg extension machine with a little bar and you put your shins against and you extend your knees that would be open chain. And from a from a biologic point of view open chain exercises can be very good in isolating a muscle, but they don't give balanced forces across the joint. So my personal bias is that I would generally pick closed chain over open chain for many things, uh, um, unless you're really going for sort of strength uh, and perfor- high performance and uh, muscle mass and hypertrophy. Because closed chain is is super balanced. You can do close. You can do complex exercise movement patterns which are really efficient, um, and you get the. Front and the back, for example, of, let's just say you're doing a, a squat or a walking lunge. You do the front and the back at the same time, and it's a very sort of organized, efficient, proficient uh, uh, activity. Uh, closed chain exercise, for sure, we use uh, in a post-operative setting so we don't overload joints. So for something called patellofemoral pain, which is across the front of the knee, we love when the foot is fixed against a firm surface, and that could be, again, squats, walking lunges, um, uh um, dumbbell presses, RDLs, where you're using a single leg activity. I mostly do closed chain activities, to be honest, for what I do, because it's really safe and it low. And, and you know, you and I don't have forever to work out. So if you want to do compound exercises that do muscle, more than one muscle group at a time, a closed chain exercise gets you there. So it's just something to think about. And if you're unsure what it looks like and you want some ideas, you can go online very easily and just kind of look this up uh, through a simple search open versus closed chain exercise.
0: Very cool, okay, next question for Dr. Cole. What are some ways I can
1: improve my posture? Yeah, this is a big one. You know, I see a lot of uh, adolescents and teenagers in my office, and probably those with the worst posture are these tall females that I get who are playing volleyball and swimmers and so forth mm-hmm. who are not comfortable being tall. And they're kind of always hunched over and they're bending over their top. They have that sort of curve in the back of their 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 upper thorax or, or back. And it's not that they're designed that way. They're just not comfortable being tall. And, and um, I'm always like, you know, look, you, you should feel blessed that you are tall. And probably part of the reason you're such a good athlete is because you've got the height and the, the lever arms and the mechanics. Um, and you got to edu- you got to first point out that their posture is awful. And you show them in a mirror. And then you help teach them basic things. And probably the core is the most important thing. We always talk about core exercise and so forth, sort of the central musculature that we have you know, around our midsection. But... Core also extends up to the shoulder blade. So a lot of um, uh, the the strengthening and performance training is on resistance bands uh, for your scapula, your shoulder blade, to sort of keep them opposed behind you. So when you're doing exercise with dumbbells and things of that nature, Steve, to help with posture, you always want to keep your sh- your sh- your shoulders down. Don't let your traps hike up to your ears. Keep your shoulders down. Keep the backs of your shoulder blades together and you're upright with, uh, without having a curved back. And that could be whether you're doing a plank or you're doing something upright. So it's, it's really important because it... Bad mechanics, you can get injured while you're exercising, and I see lots of throwing problems because of bad posture, and I see lots of swimming uh, shoulders with pain because of bad posture, because their shoulder blades are weak, and they're not keeping themselves retracted and upright.
0: I'm always thinking when I'm in a machine, sitting in a machine doing some sort of weight exercise, I always remember press the back, yes of my back to the yeah. back of that chair yeah. so
1: first the lower back so where you sort yep. of reverse your lordosis that helps to engage your core so again you and I don't have forever to work out so your exercises should be done well and done properly and you and I don't always know what to do that's why I do like working with a trainer sometimes because they cue you and doing you can do an exercise wrong and get very little out of it and you're going to spend the same amount of time yep. you can sometimes spend half the time and get a whole lot more out of it if you're doing it correctly
0: Okay, let's move on. Uh, Another question we have from our listeners in our Ask the Doctor segment here. Again, Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning here on 670 The Score. Can yoga help me lose weight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that... uh Yoga is, you know, historically the type of yoga that uh, you know the traditional types of yoga don't really deliver that type type of uh, caloric burn to lose weight. But you know, some of the more modern forms like power yoga or Ashtanga, those kinds of things. You I know, mean, hot yoga. I mean, hot you, you lose a lot of water weight, right? You know. <clears throat> you know, the thing about hot yoga is it improves muscle flexibility and so forth beyond what you can do in a sort of a cold setting. But I'm not certain beyond losing water that you're going to hopefully you know regain by proper hydration is is the proper Way to lose weight. I, I think you know the the thing about yoga, and I have a lot of people who do yoga. Um, the the benefits of yoga is that you're you're in an organized program, right? So if people are doing yoga, that's often not the only thing they're doing, and they're sort of hyper-conscientious. So they're paying attention to diet, and they're doing yoga, and they're doing uh, strength, conditioning, resistance training, and aerobic programs. So they're not just doing that. So they're much not just doing the yoga thing. So they're much often, often much more mindful about eating and managing stress. And, you know, you've heard Karen Malkin talk many times how most of us are stress eaters or behavioral eaters. So I think yoga can have secondary benefits because, you know, you've got people who are, super, are very conscientious, uh, but it also puts you in a better place to the point where you're going to think about it and uh, be more mindful, and, and reducing stress can reduce uh, behavioral eating, as we say. So in an indirect way, I think yoga could be particularly beneficial in that regard to lose weight.
0: Okay, we're out of time. Doc Cole, great stuff. I appreciate it, and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next week, okay?
1: You got it. Our producer
0: is Adam Staczynski today. Adam, great job. Appreciate you filling in for Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer, as always, is Tracy Taro. Also want to thank David Cole for managing our website at sportsmedicineweekly.com, and also he does our business operations. Then we have Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. And thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on The Score. Up next on The Score, early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Talk with you again next Saturday, a brand-new edition of Sports Medicine Weekly, only on 670 The Score.